Hello and welcome back to Story Science with DJ Finley. I am, of course, your hostess, DJ Finley. We are going to be talking about patterns of behavior with characters, or more specifically, how personality affects your character's actions and decisions, which will be shown by the patterns of behavior they display. Now, I've noticed that a lot of people like to when they're describing their characters, they will usually use a lifestyle or a archetype to describe them. Like for instance, they'll say this character is a stoic character or this character is the hero character. I've heard this a lot in writer's circles. The problem with this is that lifestyle is not a personality. Stoic is a lifestyle, not a personality. Stoicism is a way of thinking. It's a type of thought. It is uh, certain practices that a person does, which is nurture, not nature. Nurture is different from the innate personality a person is born with. The other issue I have, which is archetypes. Now, I personally do not like archetypes. I kind of loathe the archetype, especially when I'm creating a character and writing a story. So I'm pretty sure now that I've said that, a whole bunch of people are going to give me these very long, in-depth essays about why archetypes are good, I personally find them limiting and not particularly fun or enjoyable to write. But that's a personal opinion. I am not telling you to stop using archetypes. I'm just pointing out that I personally don't enjoy using them when I am writing because an archetype is not a personality. An archetype is kind of the position in the story that the character is playing. It's more of a role than it is actually the character's personality which is why I have an issue with it in terms of personality and deciding a character's patterns of behavior. Because with a patterns of behavior, those are all decided by personality, which I shall explain in this podcast. So why do I say that? Well, because no one is one thing. When writers write characters based on archetypes, they will ask, how would the hero in this situation act. One thing I've learned in writing is that your character's emotions and personality are type of POV all of its own. When writing, it's good to know how these emotions work because there will be times when a scene needs to be told from the emotions POV than the information's POV and vice versa. All right, so there is no one personality system that is better than the others. I will be using the people code for two reasons. The first reason is that it's easier to cover four personality types than like say the 16 personalities in one podcast. And the second reason is I have found that the people code is more universal for people to identify with characters. I'm not saying that you can't use any other personality grouping for your characters. 16 personalities are very accurate when it comes to individuals. However, I've noticed that the people code talks about the personalities that display themselves more clearly. The 16 personalities are far more in depth and work best for character studies. At least that's been my experience. Okay, so let's dive into personalities, which is the core reason your character has certain behavior patterns. At the core of every person is a personality that we are all born with, as I mentioned earlier. This aspect of your character is the one thing about them that will never change. I will repeat that. Your character's core personality is the one thing about this character 
that will not and shall not and never, ever, ever change about them, no matter what you throw at them. Personality is the character's driving core that dictates what that character wants or needs. A character's behavior is the result of their personality, not just the situations they're in. Personality is a checklist of responses that dictates how the characters feel and will respond. Personality is what points a person in the direction of their life. I don't think it's a coincidence or a surprise that most protagonists are blues. Reds are the second most common, followed by yellows, then whites. This is because blues and reds are the most driven of the four personality colors. Now, each of these colors has needs, wants, and motives. These are neither good nor bad. It all depends on how you write them. Nonetheless, these will never vanish from your character. These unchanging aspects are as follows. That is if you're using the people code. Reds are motivated by power. Blues are motivated by intimacy. Whites are motivated by peace. And yellows are motivated by fun. Needs. Reds need to look good technically. They need to be right, need to be respected. Reds only need approval from a select few, and they will choose which few they are. Blues need to be good morally. All blues have a strong moral code that they will follow no matter what. They need to be understood, appreciated, and accepted. Whites need to feel good about themselves. They need to be given their own space to be respected, and they need kindness from others. Yellows need to look good socially. This is different from the reds need to look good. Remember, the core motive for reds are that they are motivated by power. They don't care what people think of them as long as they look super good and are in a position of power. Yellows, on the other hand, are motivated by fun. They need to be noticed and adored, given approval from everyone they meet. Wants. Reds want to hide their insecurities. They want to be productive, to lead, to have challenging adventures. Blues want to reveal their insecurities. They want quality, autonomy, and security. Whites want to withhold their insecurities, not hide them. They want tolerance, independence, and contentment. Yellows want to hide their insecurities loosely. They want happiness, freedom, and playful adventures, unlike the reds who want challenging adventures. Big difference. Okay, so just because a character has a core color, that doesn't make them exempt from the strengths and limitations of the other three personalities. Each character has elements of all the other colors. It's possible to gain both the positive and negative traits of any color. However, it's impossible. This is the key here. It's impossible to change the core color, which is why it's so important to identify your character's core personality, even if you don't use the people code. The core doesn't change. So whether you're using the 16 personalities or the people code, that core part doesn't change. However, the people code allows you to add on aspects of the different colors. While I've noticed with the 16 personality code, people just stick with the one which is where characters get hard to identify and relate to with readers because a lot of those personalities in 16 codes have percentages of how many people of the population have that, while the people code is 
pretty much universal, and we've all at least met one of the people code. So within the people code, there are four ways to develop personality. So out of these four ways, there are two positive and two negative. These ways greatly assist in regards to character arcs. I'm not kidding. Knowing how to positively build your character or negatively digress your character is helpful in structuring their arc. The reason this is so important to understand is because while someone can have the core color of a white, doesn't exempt them from developing the limitations of a blue. And let's also be super honest. When people tell someone to change something about themselves, what they're really telling that person is to gain the strengths of another personality color. Examples. When someone tells a red to gain better people skills, they are telling them to be like a blue. When someone tells a blue to be less depressed, they are telling them to be like a yellow. Tell a white to be more driven and motivated, that color is being told to act like a red. When a yellow is told to calm down and be quiet, they're being told to act like a white. This is because all the colors have aspects that are admirable and aspects that are less desirable. The four development ways depend on these strengths and limitations. So let's start with the positive two. The first one of the four is charactered. This one requires the person to accept their core personality fully, while also developing the personality traits of the other personalities. The second one is healthy. This one is where a person exhibits the strengths and works on the weaknesses of their core color without developing any strengths from the other colors. A person can be quite successful on the merit of their core color alone. That is if the person takes care to develop it healthily by working on the strengths and dealing with the limitations. All right, on to the negative ones. Unhealthy is obviously the opposite of healthy. Since a person's core color is at root of who they are, that color's limitations are the hardest to conquer. Unhealthy is when a person is primarily driven by their core color's limitations and fails to nurture their strengths. Lastly is dysfunctional. This one is for writers to be careful with. This one is where a person exhibits limitations from other colors other than their own, these people are hard to read and difficult to relate to. They are abusive and it seems like they have a personality disorder. I'm not saying don't use it, but I think you can figure out what type of character it would be. Okay, now that we're all cut up on personality, what it is and why it's so important, let's get to the sole reason you are listening to this episode, Patterns of Behavior. To do this, we're going to go through the colors one by one. Remember, just because I'm using the people code doesn't mean you can't use any other personality study. This is just the one I mainly use and I'm using as an example. Now, to really explain the four personalities, I'm going to be using main characters of the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is mainly because those four guys are basically the people code in a nutshell. I guess pun intended. <laughs> I honestly don't know. The first one I'm going to cover is yellow, and that one's going to be a little different because instead of using Mikey, I'm actually going to switch out Mikey with a character from an anime that I really enjoy because for one major reason, Mikey is not a main, well, he's a main character, but he's not treated as the main main character 
of uh, the chosen three ninja turtles. And I think he's a little unfair to use for yellows because he is the most commonly represented of yellows, while the character from the anime, Train Hartnett, from the anime Black Cat, is a lesser seen representation of a yellow. And so I've decided for the explanation of the colors to use Train, although Mikey will be used in the at-end example. So let's talk about yellows. The outer actions associated with yellows are easy for the other colors to fake. Yellows are the fun lovers, or more formally known in writing circles as the comic relief. Now, I understand that this character is often despised by the majority of people who write and read fiction. That's because of one potent point. The comic relief character is usually just thrown in to add some levity to a story. That's not a good reason to add a character to a story. Also, archetypes are not personality, as I mentioned earlier. It's better to think of a comic relief character in terms of they can be any personality. All four personalities do have their funny aspects, and it really depends on the humor and tone you're going for in a story. This is the main reason I'm not using Mikey from Ninja Turtles, because he is sort of treated as a comic relief character, and I do not want him treated like that in my example. But because I'm using the show, I kind of have to stick with that during my explanations. The real reason to add a yellow in a story is simply because it would feel strange if a yellow was not present in the story. Because of their fun-loving natures, yellow personalities are often given to side or and background characters so that it stays out of the main story. However, yellows can be childlike without being childish. That is the key that a lot of writers keep forgetting about with yellows. They can be childlike, not childish. Yellows have defined the word fun. To them, fun means enjoying someone or something for the sake of enjoyment, no strings attached. They don't want results or improvement, no malevolent reasons, no exterior motive. Yellows don't want complexity. They simply want to enjoy the moment and have a good time. So this is why I wanted to use Train Heartnet. Now, to give a little bit of background to people who have not seen the anime or read the manga, Train has kind of a dark past. His parents were murdered, I believe, in front of him, and he was raised by their murderer. The murderer's entire intentions on raising Train was so that Train would one day kill him. Bear with me. Train doesn't get the opportunity to kill the man who killed his parents and sort of raised him because someone else beats him to killing uh, this person. Train then goes on to become a professional assassin working for a group called the Kronos Numbers until he leaves that life thanks to the help of a friend he makes and becomes a bounty hunter. This friend, who gets him away from the Kronos Numbers, is then killed by, by a man called Creed, and Train is on the sort of revenge plot to avenge this character's death. Now, this character that I just explained does not sound like a yellow, somebody who is not very caught up on personalities. This is because I did not give you his personality in that explanation. However, in the anime and the manga, it is very clear that he is a yellow. When he is not dealing with Creed or in his little revenge plot, Train is extremely laid back, rolls with the punches, and is constantly shirking off responsibility. Yellows have a difficult time developing 
the depth necessary to contribute to society substantially. They can't figure out why anyone would want to earn their keep then take the easy road. This is something that's been a lot in train throughout the story. This is due to their inability to commit. Because commitment requires dedication, yellows will often give up on self-improvement since it takes too much time and dedication. Yellows like quick and easy pleasure over uh, delayed gratification. So this is something that's interesting with Train because he's kind of on both sides of this. He does prefer instant easy pleasures over delayed gratification, but because of his upbringing, he is nurtured to have traits of a red in his dedication side. So that's what I was going to talk about with having with explaining the four ways of personality development is because Nature nature and nurture do play a huge part in this. Remember, when I described Train's backstory, you're probably not thinking of a yellow, you're probably thinking of a red or a blue. But the story has that twist in the fact that its main character is a yellow. Yellows are spirited, excited, and always in a good mood. This is attributed to their ability to appreciate what they have. Train is content with the life he's made with his partner Sven, by partner, I mean partner in business. They are not gay. And Sven's sort of adopted daughter, Eve. He rolls with the punches as they come, and he always finds something to laugh about. Yellows truly believe that it's someone else's job to take care of them. This is another thing that Train constantly does. He is constantly shirking responsibility and putting it on Sven, which drives Sven crazy. Because Sven's not a yellow. Sven is a blue. They blame others for their problems. That's another thing I've seen Train do. Yellows are enthusiastic and share it with everyone they meet. They can talk to anyone about anything. They can be considered obnoxious. Yellows don't like being or acting seriously, another trait, which can frustrate other colors greatly. Nothing is sacred to them and they don't think anything is sacred to others. Yellows are often caught up in superficial relationships despite their deep down desire for connection. Yellows are notorious for hiding their pain behind a quick smile and a joke. That's another thing that Train constantly does. He constantly hides the pain of his past by smiling and laughing it off, kind of. The best word to describe them is charismatic. Yellows love to entertain and be entertained, which is another thing that Train shows a lot. So that's why I wanted to use Train as an example for the yellow, because Mikey is sort of always treated as like just a comic relief character and to the side, while Train, the story is actually about him. He's yellow with the dark past story and the revenge plots, which was actually really interesting and enjoyable to read. Okay, whites. Now from here on out, we're going to be using the turtles, because I'm going to use Donnie for this. Or Donatello. All right. Whites are the peacemakers. They sincerely believe in diplomacy and seek to promote cooperation at all costs. They are so good-natured and even-tempered that people prefer not to challenge or upset them. Whites struggle with self-doubt and general unwillingness to confront others. They often follow others through life without assuming any leadership or responsibility of their own. Okay, so Donnie kind of has this, but not really. He doesn't like taking leadership, but he does take responsibility for himself. So that's one thing, kind of like with my example of Train, he has a little bit more of a red streak than a pure white streak. So it's very clear Donnie does, is not just a pure white, even though he does have a lot of these qualities. 
all whites suffer from self-doubt. The difference between a healthy white and an unhealthy white is that the healthy white will push through it and create evidence to prove their capabilities, which is something that Donnie does a lot. Remember, Donnie is the brains of the group. For anybody who doesn't know Ninja Turtles, Donnie's the one who comes up with all their gadgets. He's the one who finds ways to solve all their problems. He's constantly proving his self-doubt wrong. While the unhealthy white becomes cleany and possessive, wanting others to prove to them that they are accepted while never believing them. Unhealthy whites believe that they can't live without the person they are clinging to. This will put the person the unhealthy white is clinging to in a no-win situation. Because if that person leaves, they'll be rebuked for giving up on the unhealthy white. But staying with them pulls the person away from bettering their own life and being happy since their life is taken over with their obligation to the unhealthy white. Whites value others for their diversity. Another thing Donnie does. Donnie likes to learn more about other people. In return, people seek their non-judgmental companionship. It is important for whites to hear all sides of an argument or issue before making up their minds, something we always see Donnie do. Whites have an unusually high emotional and even physical pain tolerance. This is another thing we see with Donnie. Donnie does not get too emotional too quickly. I mean, he does have his moments, but he handles it relatively well compared to his brothers. Unless pushed into a combative stance, whites prefer to suffer in silence. This is why it is so rewarding when white characters lose it and go on a murderous rampage, literally or metaphorically. Whites have an uncanny ability to sweat the small stuff when it comes to human drama. Whites don't say much, but they see everything. As a consequence, they are impressionable and keep a watchful eye on the human condition. They're quite aimless and misguided at times. They are less known for accepting and in fact are often known for resisting the assistance they require. Luckily, this is not an aspect of Donnie because the show is, makes him a little too awesome, but I like that. Whites will often withhold feelings from others close to them. This is another aspect we see in Donnie. Lazy and unmotivated and boring and generally even tempered and diplomatic. Whites are the best protagonists for a story that forces them to step out of their comfort zone and get off their butts. As I mentioned in this one, whites, one of their limitations is that they're lazy and unmotivated and even boring, while also being even-tempered and diplomatic. Donnie definitely displays the even-tempered and uh, diplomatic, but he is certainly not lazy or boring or even unmotivated. So that is another aspect I want to kind of drive home, is that when writing a personality, it does help to give them aspects of the other personalities. Now we're getting into the two colors that are shown the most and are given to the majority of protagonists or major playing characters. Blues. Blues are highly dependable and consider the verbal promise as binding as a written contract. That goes for them and others as well. Blues are the heroes who are shocked when someone breaks their word, even if that person was the bad guy. They are known for saying, but you gave me your word. That's not bad writing when the hero is a blue. 
on a positive note because of their loyalty, blues are known for having richer relationships than the other three colors. They remain committed through the good times and the bad times, which is one of the contributing factors for why blues make the majority of heroes in fiction. Unfortunately, blues are perfectionistic. Blues are highly critical of themselves and others. They have such unrealistic expectations that they struggle to satisfy themselves or find satisf satisfaction in others' performances. They really, really want things done right in life and resent being asked to settle for less. Blues are so self-doubting and demanding on themselves that they often hide their skills and abilities because they fear they aren't good enough. People struggle to know how to meet the blues' expectations. Even knowing their expectations isn't helpful because meeting them would take more energy than others are willing to commit. This always frustrates blues and makes them believe those they work with are slacking and unwilling to do what is expected of them. Because of this, blues struggle with delegating duties to others. They believe that it's easier to do things themselves, especially if they want something done right. What blues fail to understand is that their instructions aren't always clear to others. Unfortunately, others won't tell blues their thoughts on the matter because blues come across as overly sensitive to those around them. Because nobody wants to hurt their feelings, blues rarely receive honest feedback and are often patronized by those who work for them. So, I know I didn't mention this earlier, but I think you guys can kind of figure out that the blue is Leo. That is for those who haven't seen the show and noticed he has a blue headband. So this is something that I've noticed a lot with Leo because at least in 2003, which is why I specified I'm using 2003, Leo is a huge perfectionist and it really comes across, especially in season four, but it is a trait that Leo carries with him throughout the show. Leo shows that he has a hard time delegating responsibility to his brothers and will often just do things himself without really consulting them or even in most situations he will often just do something himself because he wants it done a certain or specific way. Okay so now we are getting into the number one reason why blues make up the majority of the heroes. And yes Leo has this twofold. Blues are the embodiment of virtue. Yes. They have such a strict moral code that they are admired by others for their honesty, empathy, self-sacrifice, loyalty, sincerity, and discipline. Yes, the ideal hero in stories is a blue. Superman is a blue. Blues are the pinnacles of righteousness, truth, and justice. It's not so much that modern writers are bored of writing virtuous heroes, they're tired of writing healthy blues. That's really all there is. No matter what position in the story your blue character plays, they have to have the strict moral code. Since blues are all about intimacy and relationships, they are the best characters for logical stories that deal with problem solving. And this is definitely something we see with Leo. He has the strictest moral code <laughs> that it constantly gets him into trouble because he has to follow it every single time. Blues see themselves as the moral watchdogs of society, another thing we see Leo do constantly throughout the show. They are obedient to the laws and authority. They think that society requires structure and discipline in order to function. They seek to create dignity and quality for the human experience. Blues are the best and the worst of humanity. Yes, I said worst. When people describe humans, they describe blues. 
This is because blues are the most complex of the four colors. This is another reason people like them as protagonists. They are sensitive, um, intense, caring, critical, giving, and unforgiving all at the same time. The biggest danger for blues is losing perspective on what they want, which is a meaningful relationship, and focus instead on how misunderstood and unappreciated they feel. Which, this part we see with Leo in the fourth season, which I'm going to cover after I get through the colors. Blues want nothing more than to be understood and appreciated by others. That's very important. Blues love appreciation. However, they fail to take the time to understand themselves. Blues are susceptible to emotional trauma and depression. That is also very important. Blues do not walk things off. You cannot ask a blue to shake anything off. Since they allow their hearts to rule their minds, blues frequently think and behave irrationally. Let me say that again. Blues often behave or think irrationally. That is a very important key aspect when writing blue characters. And I'm going to use this in the example, so pay attention. It also doesn't help that blues are quite unforgiving and resentful. Because of their incredible memory, they can carry a grudge for years and never let go. No other personality requires others like a blue. Now, I don't mean that blues are dependent on others to help them. I'm not saying that at all. I am talking about the fact that blues core motive is intimacy, which requires human interaction. Blues think of others before themselves and they seek to enrich the lives of those around them. Another thing we see Leo do a lot. Leo rarely to never thinks about himself first. It is always my brothers, Master Splinter, my friends, uh, these random people over there. That's always what Leo is thinking and he's always striving to help and enrich other people's lives. Blues provide others with a sense of security with their steady, committed ways. They are not risk takers since they like everything the way they think it should be and where it should be. Remember, the blues do not take risks or very hesitantly. They're very hesitant to take risks. Blues have the most accurate gut instinct out of all the other colors. Their first gut reaction is often right. However, they rarely trust it. When they look back, they will often say, I always knew. Also, blues are highly opinionated, which makes them a tough competitor to face off against. This is because what makes them stubborn is that their opinions are rooted in emotion and moral principles. Changing a blue's mind is extremely difficult. It is actually a lot harder to change a blue's mind than a red's mind, and we are getting to that. Blues worry about everything on top of taking it personally. (laughs) They are the easiest to guilt trip into things, and I mean anything. You can guilt trip a blue into next to everything, which is another reason why they make great protagonists. It's very easy to get them to do dumb stuff. All right, the reds. The character I have noticed that most writers like to botch. Yeah, the red has gone through the mill and come out worse for wear majority of times in the hands of writers. Okay, let's get into it. Reds are the people who get things done, no matter what it is or how long it takes. They are the bridge builders of society. Reds are the natural born leaders, the people who know how to get from point A to point B and do it with no fanfare. Reds are the power 
wielders. Remember, their core motive is power. People who don't really know or understand reds would describe them as angry and aggressive. While reds do display these emotions, most often reds aren't as angry and aggressive as people think. A better word to describe reds is frustrated. Reds like things to work, especially when it comes to their plans and things that they are involved with. Reds are the easiest to write when you take out the word angry and replace it with this character is frustrated with X because of Y. It's easier to write a red when you know what the problem is. Also, another thing is being constantly angry is an emotional disorder, not a personality. So yeah, associating anger with reds is, it basically shows a person doesn't really understand how reds work because no personality is just angry. That is a literal disorder. Reds are so intense that often the everyday monetaries of life just isn't enough for them. Reds seek action and enjoy a challenge of rising to the occasion. They measure their own success by how much and how efficiently they accomplish anything. A healthy red is a person to follow to the ends of the earth. Reds are visionary. They are always thinking ahead and figuring things out. No joke. They're always planning what they're going to do tomorrow and the week after that. Reds are so decisive, they are often accused of acting without considering the consequences. Nothing is further from the truth. Reds hate to fail, and so rarely to never make a hasty decision. This is the red trait that writers always leave out in favor of making the red characters hot-headed and rash. They are not. And it always drives me insane watching or reading People do reds and treat them as rash. And this is something with Raphael in Ninja Turtles, because he is the red. This is something that Raph displays a lot, because the people who wrote the comics and created the shows, and especially 2003, really focused in on making him a hothead. In fact, the characters are constantly calling him a hothead. I'm not saying reds are never called hotheads. They are called hotheads a lot. But what people don't realize is that reds act like hotheads. They don't think like hotheads. Reds are usually two to three steps ahead of most people they are talking to. This is mainly because reds weigh every decision against the question, what if I fail? Reds are constantly asking the what if I fail question. This question would stop the other three personality colors in their tracks, but not the reds. This is because reds have a plan B for every plan A and a plan C for every plan B and all the way down the alphabet. And yes, it drove me nuts and it still drives me nuts that the creators of TMNT and all of the versions that I have seen leave this aspect out of Raph. Raph should have this personality trait, being a red. Reds do not run blind. They won't run blind. They won't move until they have gathered all the information and weighed the pros and cons. It will either take seconds or days, but Reds want to consider every option. Okay, let's talk about the number one reason people dislike Reds. Reds are selfish. Yeah, I'm just going to come out and say it. Reds are selfish. I don't care how wonderful, good guy your Red is. Reds are selfish. And they're always looking out for themselves. They make sure they get something out of whatever they're involved in, even if it's just praise and recognition. Reds know what they want, they know who they want, and they do what they want. 
Reds are motivated by things that benefit them. Good luck getting a red to move on anything that they don't get something out of. It's next to impossible. Reds are the colors who are unlikely to say the phrase, I would die for you. Reds are more likely to phrase that as, no one can kill you but me. So the phrase, I would die for you, makes no sense to a red because to a red, if they are dead, then they're of no use to anybody and being dead is no use to them. However, the phrase, no one can kill you but me, is their way of basically saying, I really, really like you or even I love you. Because what that phrase means is I'm not going to allow anybody to hurt you in any way, physically, emotionally, or mentally, that isn't me. Because a red would never hurt somebody that they really care about. That wouldn't be beneficial to them. So telling somebody that no one's allowed to hurt them but the red, that means that red is going to get between the person they like and the threat every single time. If a red has to die for someone, they would rather go out fighting or as a martyr. They don't like to die and be forgotten because that wouldn't benefit their memory at all. Reds are all about facts and logic and rarely consider their own feelings or the feelings of others. Because of this, reds come across as condescending and insensitive. Reds cannot be guilt-tripped, period. Appealing to a red's emotions will do nothing but waste time and annoy the red. A red's mind can be changed, however, but with facts and logic. They don't really care about another person's opinion unless it can be backed up. This is a big difference between the red and the blue. Both reds and blues are extremely stubborn and opinionated, but the red's mind is easier to change if you have a good argument. Since reds are fact-driven, they are not the people to go to for emotional support. No. However, because of their problem-solving skills, they are the best people to go to for help and advice. A red is the most likely out of the four colors to stay up all night without complaint to help their friend solve a problem. They won't give you a shoulder to cry on, but they will get you out of a tough spot. It is important to reds to look knowledgeable. This is another problem I have with most red characters, including Raphael. Unhealthy reds refuse to admit when they are wrong and don't know. Healthy reds admit when they don't know something and then go and look it up so they don't look unknowledgeable on this topic again. So with Raphael, while they do have a lot of his anger, aggression, and frustration, and a lot of the other visual negative traits of reds, I've noticed that they don't make Raph seem super knowledgeable. He does have his moments, but they aren't very... They're sort of few and far between, let's all just be honest. Reds are the color who will, this is interesting, who will research their friends' hobbies and interests so they don't appear stupid when talking with their friends. Yeah, they're not doing it for their friends' benefit, the reds are doing it for them. Reds are highly critical of others. Most are verbally critical while others judge in silence. This is one thing I've noticed people like to do with reds, they will often make their reds very verbal on their criticisms. Reds have zero tolerance for small talks, mental dullness, or a lack of common sense, or unpreparedness. Reds want and expect results. They are highly biased and reactionary in their judgments of others. Reds often take an instant like or dislike of people based on first impressions alone. Which is actually something we do see with Raph quite a bit, because Raph does have a tendency to judge people strictly on a first encounter merit. Sometimes he is proven wrong and sometimes he is proven right. Reds come across as massive jerks. This is another one writers get incorrect a lot. This is because reds are not jerks. 
Okay, correction. Reds don't consider themselves jerks. They think of themselves as simply pointing out facts, and this often bewilders them because they'd have no idea why people would get offended by a fact. Reds do not find facts offensive. Reds are incredibly insecure. They deal with this by surrounding their emotions with a really thick dragon hide that is near impossible to penetrate. Unfortunately, this makes them unaware of the raw nerves of more sensitive people. Reds do not handle emotions well at all. A red would rather control their destiny rather than share it. Reds want a loving relationship but refuse to show any vulnerability, which is essential in any intimate relationship. To reds, showing any kind of vulnerability or weakness is out of the question, period. Remember, reds want power. Reds want logical thought, and emotions are not power or logical thought. Reds are so determined and focused that intimacy is often ignored as legitimate concern. This is why red characters are the best for emotional moments and stories. Getting a red to break down and admit they care or even love someone is near impossible, which makes the moment that much more rewarding when built up correctly. There was a part in the 2003 Ninja Turtles, where Leo basically gets beat up and is thrown through the window as a warning slash example to his brothers. And after they get Leo to safety, Raph does have a moment where he breaks down and cries. And I loved that moment so much because having Raph be the one to do that made that scene just that much more impactful because he is the red. He is the one who doesn't like showing emotions. Don't worry, we're almost done. Reds are the most tenacious out of the other colors. This is the one part of reds that writers tend to exploit. Yes, reds are bossy and taxing on those around them. They are also extremely impatient when they want something done. They are so focused on what they are doing, they subconsciously expect the world and others to bend for them. They don't like it when others or events force them to change their plans. However, reds do expect others to change their plans for them. Writers use this trait over the other traits to make their red characters out to be selfish bastards, which reds are selfish bastards, but it's unfair to leave out the other personality traits. Reds are strong-willed and determined individuals. They take firm stands and simply expect others to follow. A logical knack for verbal arguments, reds are highly articulate, quick on their feet, that's another thing that is a pattern of behavior right there. Reds usually have a comeback. And comfortable in a debate. In fact, here's a pattern right here. Reds will start a debate just for the fun of it, even if they don't agree with the side they are arguing. When writing dialogue for a red, their sentences should be short, sweet, and to the point. Mainly to the point. You can use fancy words, just make sure everything they say has a point. There will be lots of questions from a red, such as your point, why, or so, being said by these characters, since the best way to convince a red is to have a strong point, they will ask for the point until they hear it. All right, and finally, the part of the red that is constantly left out. Reds are the best allies. With their great ability to get to the heart of a matter, Without being distracted by emotions or the hurdles of life, they don't quit or give up on anyone or anything. A red's commitment is unquestionable. Reds are also always prepared for the worst and don't believe in best case scenario. They are usually the hero's best friend or rival because of this. 
And also, when a red is not the main character, it is usually in a logical story because if they were, the book would be over in the first two chapters. Unless you are really good at writing stuff to mess up their plans. Okay, so let's actually talk about patterns of behavior, which, as I mentioned, has a lot to do with personality. And now that I've explained personality, let's actually look at what a story driven or what something a narrative driven with personality motivations and needs and wants would look like. So in order to do this, I have decided to use Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2003 because, as I mentioned, these guys are basically the four colors of the people code embodiment. Although, as you might have noticed through my examples, they aren't a perfect, they don't perfectly show off these colors. Donnie has a lot of positive traits that he's developed from his brothers, so I would say that Donnie's probably the most charactered out of the four, but we're going to get into this. So I'm going to explain what actually happened in the show for people who haven't seen the show and just kind of like as a comparison to my rewrite. In order to best explain this, I've decided to use it's not really an arc. I like to think of it as an arc, okay? So there's this part in, I believe it's season three, where this evil Time Lord dude separates the brothers into the kind of alternate realities or something. And it's crazy. Just bear with me for a second. And Donnie is sent into the future. At least they make it very, they make a point of making sure you know this is the future. And they kind of go all terminator all of a sudden so the show kind of shifts from a normal happy-go-lucky show into a terminator movie <laughs> which is quite a change don's in this uh post-apocalyptic future and that's where he gets sent and he finds out that the shredder has taken over the world basically and his brothers are have separated they're no longer a team they're no longer together splinter's dead their best friend casey is dead and everything is just you know, terrible and post-apocalyptic, basically. The interesting thing about this episode is that it's not clear what happened to Donnie. And what I mean by that is Donnie's not, future Donnie's not in this episode. People who've seen the show know what I'm talking about. Donnie's not in this, future Donnie's not in this episode. And everyone makes it sound as though Donnie left. The weird thing about this is that the show has made it very clear that Donnie, at least in this version, the 2003 Donnie, is the most unlikely of the four uh, brothers to leave the group. And also, it doesn't make a ton of sense because he is the white. He does have a very high pain tolerance. And so him leaving the group was kind of weird. And also, the brothers never explain why Donnie left. But there are a couple of things in this episode, uh, same as it never was. And also, this is like the most well-known episode of series, which is one of the reasons why I'm starting with this episode, because this is the episode where a lot of moments in the show kind of fall apart because this, this episode is never addressed afterwards and yet is the most famous of the entire show. But this episode has a couple of key elements that I want to mention because these are going to come up again in my rewrite. In this episode, it is made very clear Donnie left. The Shredder is back. Raph lost one eye. I think it's the left eye. And Mikey lost part of his arm. So he's one-armed now. And uh, it's implied that Raph lost his eye at the same time Casey died. I will make a uh, change there. But anyway, 
Donnie manages to help out his brother. He gets his brothers back together. He gets the team back together within this episode. And they go take down the Shredder. And within this episode, the reason this one stands out so much is you actually get to see Raph, Leo, and Mikey die on camera. And they did a very good job making their deaths very tragic, despite the lack of blood, which I'm very sore that they don't have any blood in this. And it would have been so much better. Because it would have made the episode just that much better. But uh, they basically tell Donnie not to give up on the, on the family, which is really weird because Donnie is the least likely to walk out on the family. So why is this his future? Why is this the future of Donnie not being there? In the show, the actual show, it goes on to when season three ends with them trying to take out the Shredder. And during this, they get a... They get into this no-win situation where Leo has to decide to blow up the spaceship that they are on to basically save the universe because the Shredder is going to enslave the entire universe and the only way to stop him is to blow up the ship that the turtles are on and they cannot escape. They're literally trapped in this one room. And so Leo has to sacrifice himself and his brothers in order to save the world. Luckily, they get saved by some friends who they sent a distress call two hours before. And everything's hunky-dory. The Shredder gets banished. They get sent back to Earth. And everything looks as though it should be all sunshine and roses. But it's not. Because Leo is now suffering from I wasn't good enough syndrome. And he ends up, when they get back to Earth, for several episodes in the show, going on kind of a, if the show had been made for kids, murderous rampage. (laughs) Uh, And he goes into this serious determination to improve himself so that his brothers will never be put in this sort of situation again. In the show, the brothers just sort of deal with it. They don't like this murderous Leo that he's become, but they don't really speak out against him until... Leo ends up hurting Master Splinter in one of his blind rages, and then the brothers end up getting mad at him, and Splinter sends him off to Japan to basically learn how to snap out of his dangerous mindset from a man called the Ancient One, the same man who trained Master Yoshi. Uh, While Leo is gone, the lair gets destroyed by Karai, who has been searching for the turtles to get revenge on them for having her father, the Shredder, banished. Karai is the Shredder's adopted daughter, for all of those who don't know the show. Uh, Leo finds out what happens and comes back to find his brothers and make sure they're okay. He then goes and tells Karai uh, not to bother his family ever again, which, yeah, it's a threat she kind of does and does not listen to. And then there's this one character who is my favorite villain in the entire show, Agent Bishop. Agent Bishop goes on this sort of funding rampage where his department in the he's not an fbi agent but he's like he's his whole department is to protect earth from aliens apparently it's not getting enough funding so he has these aliens um, designed to kidnap the president so he can save the president so the president will give them more funding yeah that happens in this show these creatures end up getting destroyed by the turtles and also by agent bishop's men and they're Toxic ooze goes into the sewers and starts corrupting and mutating the wildlife in the sewers, like bugs, rats, snakes, you name it. During all of this, Donnie ends up mutated and becomes a bloodthirsty, ravenous monster. Leo makes the decision makes the decision himself to go to Bishop because Bishop is the reason the problem happened. 
and see if they can get a cure for Donnie. Remember, Bishop is a villain in the stories. Uh, Bishop wants nothing more than to basically destroy the turtles, preferably dissect them to find out how they tick. Bishop lies to them and tells them that he does have an antidote, which he does not, and that he will give it to them to save their brother if they do a little favor for him. This little favor ends up kickstarting the events of season five. Because Bishop doesn't have the actual antidote, the antidote is created in Bishop's lab by the turtle's friend Leatherhead, who is a giant crocodile and is another awesome character in this story. I'm not going to go into too much detail about. The brothers do the job for Bishop. They get back. Bishop gives them the antidote. They save Donnie. They leave. And season five starts. Now, you might have noticed that I did not really bring up Same As It Never Was again, which is what sucks because Same As It Never Was, because it shows this future of the Shredder taking over and the brothers separated and everything gone to pot, 40 something, I think it's 45 years into the future, I'm pretty sure. So while these events are fine, let me just give you the exact same storyline, but putting a lot more emphasis on the personalities. Now I'm just giving, I just gave you guys the basic rundown of what happened. Now I'm actually going to sort of try and paint a picture into your heads of what the story could look like if you really focused in on patterns of behavior and how personalities interact with each other and how they think and are motivated. So going back to Same As It Never Was, Donnie's whole future, well, I would still leave very unclear, but I would make it even more unclear because I would have where people, or more specifically, his brothers and April react to him very differently. No one quite says the same thing. Mikey would probably give the least amount of information. He would kind of look at Donnie a little weird, but he doesn't want to talk about what happened when Donnie left. If I was writing the episode, I would make sure that Donnie had a chance to speak one-on-one with each of his brothers and basically try to find out where he is. Because remember, Donnie is the one set up to be the least likely to leave the group. So the idea in little Donnie's brain of, I left, why the crap did I leave? I need to fix this. He needs to be trying to get information from his brothers. Why did I leave? Something caused Donnie to leave and Donnie leaving caused his brothers to break up and basically resent each other. Leo and Raph have some serious resentment towards each other. With Leo, all Leo can basically say is, I am sorry. I should have been, I should have done better. I should have been there for you. Uh, Raph is, Raph's reaction is the one I think I would have done the most focus on. And my thing is I would have had Raph basically ask Donnie, why didn't you have my back when I needed you? And while that sounds kind of strange, it could be interpreted different ways, I would definitely lay some emphasis on that part because events of season five are very different from the events seen in the future episode and same as it never was. To me, that is important because clearly something happened to change the course of history. And to me, that's very important because the show sort of went out of its way to say that same as it never was, is the future. This is the future if life continues the way it is. This is what's going to be. Dawn needs to fix this so that the future in the show is a different outcome. So when Donnie gets back, because he is a white, I would not have him tell his brothers or even Master Splinter about what happened to him when he went into the future. Remember, whites don't like to basically burden other people with their problems. They're very quiet. They kind of suffer in silence. This whole event that Donnie went through, watching his brothers die, learning that there's something that's going to happen 
where he's going to be gone. Donnie's going to leave for one reason or another. And so he's going to be kind of paranoid as to what is that thing going to be. So that's one thing I would add to Donnie's personality is he has this slight paranoia that something's going to cause me to leave and I can't allow this to happen. But I did get a clue from Raph which was, you should have my back. I need, I need to have Raph's back. There's something about having Raph's back that is very important. And also, Leah was sorry. Whatever caused me to leave, I didn't support Raph, and Leah was, apo- Leah was apologizing to me that he wasn't able to be there for me. So I, that kind of gives me some clues as to what happened. And that's also there for the audience. Then the events, ending events of season three happen where they go to take care of the shredder and they end up cornered and Leo has to make the decision to blow up the spaceship with everybody on it. They are saved. They go back to Earth and then Leo goes on his murderous rampage. Now, this is very important. This is where a lot of the differences really start. So, I would make it very clear that the brothers don't like Leo's murderous rampage new self because Leo's whole thing is he is a perfectionist. He has to be perfect. He doesn't really delegate all that well responsibilities within the group. Because Leo wasn't able to save his brothers, he is going to be making very, very, very sure that that doesn't happen again. He does not want to get pushed into that situation ever again, which is why he is over-the-top over training, overcompensating, over-achieving, basically, so that his brothers are never put in the situation again. Now, unlike the actual show where the brothers just sort of put up with it, this is where Raph would be changed significantly. So in my rewrite, I would give Raph a lot more red traits. And the biggest red trait that they should have given him is reds have zero tolerance for anything they don't like. They're not, reds are not tolerant at all. I think you might have gotten that from me explaining reds. And he would be growing more and more annoyed with Leo as the season goes on because Leo is acting very rash. He's not thinking things through. He's not, he's basically not acting the way Raph thinks Leo should be acting or the way Raph believes is the best way for Leo to be acting or is used to him acting. Now, there is a part in the show's actual events I forgot to mention, which I really probably should have, and it's kind of the moment I would have made the turning point in the story, where they're trying to snatch a the goods from a weapons heist from this gang called the Purple Dragons run by this one evil dude named Hun. They basically, their mission basically fails, and Liu gets really mad about it, and he kind of yells at his brothers, and he yells at Casey, and he's like, you know, we did not succeed, we didn't do our job, and he basically storms off in a huff. That's the part where I would have made it the tipping point for Raph, because Raph would just be at, he'd be done with Leo, basically, well, Leo's attitude. And Reds don't suffer in silence. They are not whites. Reds, they, they don't like something, they will tell you they don't like it. They don't care if your feelings get hurt or what. And so Raph needs to have a shout out, basically yelling match with Leo in the lair. They need, the two of them just need to be at each other vocally. Just like Raph needs to be telling him, dude, what the crap is wrong with you? You are insane. You are, you know, what are trying to do? Get us all killed? And Leo, being the blue, is feeling like his brothers don't appreciate all of the hard work and effort he has put into their safety, which of course Raph doesn't see it that way. Leo could have gotten them killed several times in the heist with the Purple Dragons or trying to get stuff from the Purple Dragons. I kind of feel like this would be a really interesting moment because you have 
two brothers who are basically after the same theme. Because Raph, let me just pause this really quick and explain some stuff from Raph's perspective. Now, while Raph didn't make the decision to kill everybody on the spaceship, he did side with Leo to pull the plug and kill everybody on the spaceship. They were saved. And remember, Reds hate to fail, and they really don't like assistance in succeeding, but Raph would probably look at it in terms of, okay, we did not go in with a great plan, first of all, so he would blame Leo for that. That's another thing with Reds, they like to blame other people. So he'd blame Leo for the lack of planning, and which would frustrate him even more that Leo's acting like this. And Raph would, during these episodes, while Leo is kind of in his murderous rampage mind, I would have Raph working with Donnie, even probably Mikey, coming up with, okay, if we end up in these kinds of bad situations, what are some plans? We need to think ahead. Remember, Reds are very visionary. They're always thinking ahead. Okay, this didn't work. What can we do to change this. And this is something that people love leaving out with Reds, but I would definitely add in to Raph at this point because Raph needs to realize he needs to step up. And that's a very Red trait. When Reds feel like the authority that they're following is lacking, they step up constantly. If they don't think somebody's doing a good enough job, they step up. Remember, Reds are natural born leaders. They don't like it when they're part of an organization or a group that is running blind. Reds don't run blind. So while Leo was going crazy, Raph would start taking over the group, sort of, kind of behind Leo's back at first. And he would definitely get Donnie and Mikey kind of on his side and basically trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to deal with this so that we are prepared in the future so we don't run into a similar situation like this. Or if we do, we'll handle it better. That's what Raph would be going for. So you have these two guys who want the exact same thing. They want what's best for the family and they want the family safe and protected, but they're going at it two different ways that are very distinctive of their personality. Leo is looking at it as, well, you guys are slackers. You guys aren't pulling your weight. You guys aren't doing your part. Therefore, I have to do all this extra work to make sure the family is safe and you guys don't appreciate the work I am putting in to make sure you guys are safe, happy, and being able to do whatever you want. Raph would be looking at it as, look, we were all on that ship. We all agreed with you. We all sided. We were going to die. You know, we were behind you. That decision almost got us killed if we hadn't gotten saved. We need to do better as a group, as a team. We need to, we all need to step this up, but we need to do it logically and we need to do it in a way that benefits everyone. Okay, so where I would fit this scene in with Same As It Never Was is I would make sure that Donnie and Mikey are watching their two brothers basically shout it out. You're yelling, they're accusing each other, they're throwing out uh, all the different issues, they're looking at it differently, Leo's looking at it emotionally, Raph's looking at it logically. Mikey, I would have him turn to Donnie and be like, because remember, Mikey's the yellow, he doesn't want the responsibility of all this, he's trying to stay out of it, and he would turn to Donnie, because Donnie's the more level-headed of the two, and he'd be like, Don, do something, they're gonna kill each other. Don, being the white and the peacemaker, would probably be like, I I don't want to remember whites don't like confrontation. He'd be like, I don't know. I don't. Okay. You're right. I need to do something. And then I would have him go over there and try first to make peace with the brothers. Be like, guys, guys, you know, chill out. You know, it's okay. We, you know, we did survive. We're fine. I'm sure we can talk our way through this. Leo and Raph need to basically get Donnie into a situation where Donnie has to choose Leo or Raph. This is that moment where I would definitely link it to Same As It Never Was, where Donnie remembers what Raph 45 years in the future told him. 
Why didn't you have my back? Why weren't you there for me? Why didn't you back me up? I would definitely put those words in. Why didn't you back me up? Donnie needs to realize this is the moment. This is, I did not side correctly. Or I you know, said, no, I'm, I'm Switzerland on this. I'm, I'm not part of this. Donnie needs to side with Raph and basically tell Leo, I agree with Raph. Raph is right. You almost got us killed on multiple occasions. You've gone crazy. You've basically, if we weren't a kid's show, you did kill several people. And basically tell Leo, no, I'm, I'm have to, I have to agree with Raph. You've lost it, brother. You need to change. You need, you need to fix this. With Donnie siding with Raph, I would then write it so that Mikey gets the courage to side with um, Raph and Donnie. This is, of course, going to be what triggers Leo to lash out, basically. Not in this scene, but later when he's training with Master Splinter, and that's when he hurts Master Splinter. This I would put this before that. Then Leo hurts Master Splinter, and then Master Splinter ships Leo off to Japan to train with the Ancient One. Another big difference I would make with the, that the show doesn't put in, I would actually have episodes of Raph becoming the leader. He is the leader, not permanently, but while Leo's gone, Raph is the leader. He is making sure that his uh, brothers do well, he's working with them, and he's getting to know them, and he's helping them. Because this is a big difference between reds and blues, is reds want things to work. They want things to function properly, and they are usually a lot more open to telling people what to do. Remember, reds are bossy. They like to order people around, but healthier reds, which I would definitely tweak Raph towards being more of a healthy red, are more willing to work with people and try and figure out, okay, how, what's the best way we can do this? You know, and he knows his brothers, his brothers know him, they know he's trying to help him, and I would actually have Raph really help out his brothers. Even though Leah was gone, they still managed to pull off some missions very successfully. The first one, maybe not so much, but as they work together, they do a very successful job. Then I would have it where Karai finds the lair and destroys it and almost kills the brothers. Now, I want to rewind really quick. One thing I want to add is with Karai, I would up her a little bit in this whole part with Leo insane and Leo then leaving and Raph taking over. I would definitely show the audience that she is doing what she can to get her father out of exile because he got exiled to this little ice in the middle of space or something like that. And I would show that she is making plans to bring him back. So it's kind of also setting up this whole, you know, the Shredder could come back and the Shredder could do the apocalyptic future that Donnie witnesses when he goes into the future 45 years. So I would be setting up a whole bunch of little things to kind of show, okay, what Donnie saw is what's going to happen if a change doesn't get made. And really, like, zero in on that. Okay, so she then finds the lair and she destroys it. And I would also make it a kind of a, kind of show how she finds the lair. Maybe, you know, the brothers got careless or something, or she has some people spying on them. But she finds the lair, destroys the lair. In the demolishment of the lair, remember, I pointed out that Raph would have a whole bunch of, he would be planning and thinking ahead, okay, what, what can we do? to better handle these worst-case scenario situations. When the brothers get cornered in their lair, Donnie needs to turn to Raph and be like, what do we do? You're the leader, you're, you know, you're in charge, what do we do? Which, which plan are we going with? I would have Raph kind of be like, you guys know the plans, pick one, and go, go to our safe places, stay low for a while, and then I'll come look for you. I know all the plans, I know all the locations, I will look for you. But stay where you are. And so that's the order he gives them, 
They all leave. Donnie leaves a splinter. Mikey goes his way. Raph goes his way. And they all fake their deaths. Spoilers. I, I think you'll figure out they fake their deaths. But they all die. And so Karai believes that she has killed at least three of them because she does get the report back that Leo wasn't there. And this ticks her off because the one she really, 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 really wants and really, really hates is Leo. Leo finds out what happened to his brothers. He returns to New York and he goes in search for them. And I would leave it where the first one he finds is Donnie and Splinter, then he finds Mikey, and then last he finds Raph. I would make one major change because Raph was in charge and I would have really specified Raph was in charge. He, as a Red, would feel very much in his, I failed. I was supposed to do things this way. I had a chance to prove myself and I failed. I just completely failed. And so when he sees Leo, the first thing he needs to be is like, Leo, I am so glad to have you back. I don't know what happened to the brothers. I don't know if they're alive. I don't know if they're dead. I don't I don't know anything. I've been too scared to leave where he's been hiding out because for all I know, Karai's got goons out there who could follow me and all I'll be doing is putting them in danger and you know, just really lose it. And Leo needs to be like, hey, bro, it's okay. I got them. It's like, you got them? Yeah, I got them to a safe spot. They're okay. You know, everything's fine. Let's go. Let's go meet up with them. And on their way back, I would definitely put in a little scene where they're walking to where Leo has them uh, safely stashed and have Raph be like, you know, I'm really sorry, Leo. I, I thought I could do it and I was wrong. I can never do what you do. I can never basically be you. I, I thought I could be the leader and I can't. And Leo needs to be like, dude, you did a great job. I mean, I talked to Donnie. Donnie said, you know, you told them, you know the plans. Get out of here. I'll come look for you and I'll, you know, get everyone back together. If it wasn't for you and you're, you know, thinking ahead and uh, making plans and working with everybody, they would have died. If it was me in charge, yeah, we would probably be <laughs> fricasseed by now. And so Leo needs to tell Raph this, you know, be kind of like, hey, look, you did, you did good. You didn't do bad, but, you know, we couldn't plan for everything. We couldn't, like, make everything, you know, perfect the way we want it. And so the two of them meet back up with the rest of the family. And there was a part that I would kind of play with a little bit, where when they meet back up with everyone, uh, Donnie shows up, is like, hey, Raph, I'm so happy to see you. And Raph kind of shrugs him off. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I would write it a little tiny bit differently. While Raph's reaction is correct, I kind of want to explain a little bit of Raph's yeah, yeah, whatever reaction to seeing Donnie again after the brothers were not sure if they were all alive. And this is because, remember, Reds have some serious pride. They like to be in power. They like to basically not look bad. Raph, in this situation, he doesn't know how his brothers see him anymore. You know, he was supposed to protect them, he was supposed to lead them and guide them, and all this terrible stuff happened, he wasn't able to be there for them, he doesn't know how they see him, and so he's going to be very defensive and protective of his feelings and emotion. Also, he does he did get told by Leo that the brothers are alive, they're okay, so he doesn't have that worry anymore. So he's going to be very defensive of his emotions, he doesn't want to break down, he doesn't want to look weak in front of his brother. So he's going to do the, yeah, I'm tough and you're all going to deal with it stance, which is not smart or correct, but it's one of the things that makes Reds what they are. Let's just all be honest here. And one little change I would make is when Raph is doing this, I would have Donnie go and stand next to him. This is more of a Donnie quietly letting Raph know, hey, I'm really, really happy to see you. I know I just kind of embarrassed you when you walked the door by, you know, being overly excited to see you, but you know, I am really, really glad you're back. And so he's going to stand, I would have him stand quietly next to Raph. Then I would have Leo be like, okay, I'm going to go out, get some food, some supplies. You all, you all stay here. I'll be back soon. And he tells Raph to basically keep an eye on things while he's gone. This is important 
because Raph is still in that I don't know, you know, where I stand right now because Leo's back and I don't really know who's in charge or what's going on or how I did. And having Leo basically have Raph take care of things while he's away is a nice way for Leo to be like, you know, I trust you, I trust your judgment, and I trust whatever decisions you make. So that's kind of Leo being like, you know, you did a good job making Raph feel better. That would make Raph feel a million times better because it would give him control over an lost control situation. And then, of course, Leo would go to do the most favorite scene in the entire show, which is when he tells Karai, hey, leave my family alone. Otherwise, I'm not going to be so nice and I am definitely going to whop your head off. Stay away from my family. Love that scene. When Leo gets back to his brothers, I would have the passing of power back to Leo. When he gets back and the brothers are kind of like, so now what? I would definitely have Mikey ask, now what? And he and Don need to look at Leo and Raph kind of like, okay, who are we following now? And Raph needs to nod at Leo and say, well, you know, that, that would be his way of telling Leo, okay, you're in charge, boy. I trust you. I'm behind you. Go for it. And you know, Donnie and Mikey can be thrilled that Leo's back and we can get normal, happy, healed, emotionally Leo. Building up to when Donnie gets his second mutation, I would definitely have it where you see that Leo is a lot more, he's not dependent on Raph, but he does include him and he continues to include Donnie in decisions for the team. And you see them working more as a one together unit instead of just Leo telling them some basic stuff to do while he does the rest of it. So you see them working together more. Now the fun part, Donnie's mutation. Okay, so I did explain why there is crazy stuff in the sewers. Bishop wanted more funding for his group, so he had these aliens created so that the president would see, oh, aliens are a threat or a major threat and I need to give you more funding. And Donnie gets hit with some alien juice, which re-mutates, second mutates him, basically. I would have what happens to Donnie be really tough on Splinter and Mikey. Like, these guys are not going to be particularly helpful in making a decision on what's best for Donnie and the family. Because, you know, Splinter's like, what the crap? My son is now this bloodthirsty, ravenous monster, which is not Donnie. The exact opposite of Donnie. And Mikey is kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. You, you guys figure something out. I do love the line in the actual show where Leo says that he keeps wanting to turn to Donnie and ask him what they should do, only to remember that is Donnie. Now, I would kind of specify in the show that, and they kind of did, which was interesting, is Leo and Mikey are closer and Raph and Donnie are close. When you team them up, that's, this is the person that they're the closest to. And so I would definitely play it where he keeps thinking they're two separate things. He keeps forgetting that they are the same one and the same thing. And he needs to talk to Raph about what to do. And, and they both need to be kind of on the same level of, you have two options. Either go to Bishop and ask him for a cure and possibly get everybody in danger, or we kill Donnie. One of the reasons why this conversation would be very important is because this is sort of, this moment in the show needs to be the most important moment in the show for two very, very important reasons. The first important reason is that this is kind of Leo's final exam, if you think about it, of the season, because you think about it, the end of season three and the majority of season four, Leo has been having this, I need to protect my brothers, I must never get them in a situation like this again. Another 
no back out, uh, dangerous situation where we could all get killed. I need to protect them from that. This is also the turning point scene on that will dictate whether the future is same as it never was or whether the future is the other not great outcome that season five is. So, but of course, Leo doesn't know this. Now, Leo being the blue, he is very emotional on this because blues mainly think emotionally, not so much logically. And so he would be like, you know, there is the whole, I don't want to kill my brother. However, I don't want to go to a man who is more than happy to dissect us to ask for help because that's just out of the frying pan into the fire. However, killing Donnie is not exactly a good option either because one, that is my brother. And two, what is that going to do to the family as a whole while we will all be alive and okay? What are we going to be emotionally and mentally after this? So he has to think this through and he needs to talk this out with Raph. Now, Raph being a red, he should have already made up his mind that Bishop is the best option because red, remember? They're always thinking, they're looking at the pros and the cons, they're making decisions, and this needs to basically be his stance on, yeah, there are both options, but the best one is going to Bishop. Because at least that one, while we don't have a guarantee he'll help us, there is still that slight percentage, and I'd rather go out fighting and trying to cure Donnie than just giving up and killing him. While Leo would agree with him on that, Leo is still kind of in that, yeah, but... Bishop is someone we can't trust. We can't trust him really to keep his word. We can't trust him with anything. We're turtles. He's a human. He has no reason to honor anything he says to us. It's not a good option. We, I, we just end up getting everybody killed. And so they need to be talking about this. Now in the show, the actual show, there's a part where Donnie, evil monster Donnie, grabs Mikey's leg and tries to basically eat Mikey. And I would change that from Mikey's leg to Mikey's arm, more specifically the one that was missing in Same As It Never Was. I wouldn't rip off his arm, but I would definitely make the one that Donnie grabs and I'd get it injured in some way. Now, with Mikey being in trouble, remember I mentioned that Leo is closest to Mikey, Raph is closest to Donnie. And so Mikey being in trouble, Leo is going to be very reactionary. Remember, blues are very irrational you know, especially when their emotions are high. They are extremely irrational. So Leo, his first thought is Mikey's in trouble. I got to go save Mikey. And so he's going to jump in there. Katana's out and trying to save Mikey. And I'd actually also have Don escape from the entrapment that they have him in. And this is where they would need their crocodile friend Leatherhead because Leatherhead is awesome. We need more awesome Leatherhead moments. And Leatherhead manages to grab Donnie to stop him from basically eating his brothers, basically. And Leo is like, okay, I gotta do something. Mikey's almost got killed. I gotta do something. He needs to go running towards Donnie in a death strike position. Raph needs to get between the two of them. Into this get between, Leo ends up slashing Raph's face, not blinding his eye, but near his eye, because Leo needs to see Raph's in my way jar him and he needs to like tilt his katana so instead of taking out Raph's eye he cuts above Raph's eye. While Leo's distracted by what he's almost done, Raph needs to trap Leo's katanas with his side and basically ram them into the floor. And I'd have the two of them basically kneeling on the floor, Raph's bleeding, and Leo is kneeling there with his sword trapped with Raph's eyes. And Leatherhead manages to get Donnie into another entrapment with the help of Splinter and Mikey. Once Donnie's been taken care of, Splinter and Mikey should go running over to the other two. And Splinter needs to be like, my sons, what the crap? Like, what are you doing? And Raph needs to say something that's very, very important. 
important, which would also really drive home the same as it never was storyline, which is, you need to say something along the lines of, the team needs Donatello, but the family needs Donnie. And Leo needs to be sitting there and he needs, no, he needs to hear that. And Mikey needs to be sitting there going, and he needs to look at Leo and be like, Leo? And Leo needs to say, Donnie would never have let it get this far. That's when he needs to look at Raph and be like, get Donnie on the helicopter, we're taking him to Bishop. And that's when he decides to go to Bishop. Now, I want to explain one little aspect of why I would have this interaction, especially why I would have Raph get between Leo and Donnie. Now, there are several reasons. This makes Raph sound very self-sacrificing, but if you think about it, Raph's decision to get between the brothers, second mutated Donnie and irrational Leo, is actually a very selfish decision on his part. Remember, Reds do things that benefit them, and killing Donnie would not benefit Raph in the slightest. In fact, it would do the exact opposite. Raph is protecting Donnie for purely selfish reasons. This is my brother. This is my favorite brother. We need the family, especially if he's been in the leadership position. He knows exactly how important Donnie is to the team, which so does Leo. But Rav is seeing this on a logical, we need Donnie for scientific reasons. We need Donnie for problem-solving reasons. We need Donnie for all these reasons, including family reasons. Donnie is the glue that keeps his family together. And if you kill him, we're falling apart. And this family is all I have. Those would be the reasons Raph would jump in there. Purely selfish. We need Donnie for the family, and I need the family for me. With Reds, all of their decisions should be able to be traced back to this selfish desire. Raph needs his family. They're all he has. He's not human. He can't go and start a new life. This is all he has. And then, of course, since we're going off of emotions, in season five, I would definitely make sure the first part of season five is the brothers, when they get Donnie back, they need to heal from this because this is going to be like the major shaking point. And this needs to be the point where the audience is like, oh, this is what happened to Don. This is why Leo said, sorry, I couldn't protect you. I wasn't there for you. This is why Raph was talking about you didn't have my back. And it kind of shows that did Donnie in the alternate version rip off Mikey's arm or cut him in a way that Mikey had to amputate it so he didn't become a bloodthirsty monster. And also, I would have been very careful to show with Leo's personality as a blue, he is a very unhealthy blue in the 45 years into the future because in the alternate timeline that causes that post-apocalyptic future, Leo never got the help he required from the ancient one. And so the Leo that they're dealing with is the Leo that never recovered from almost killing his brothers back in season three or at the end of season three, which means that because Leo is still very murderous, he's still very reactionary, he's still very not thinking things very well, thinking through things well, he would have probably, with Raph got between him and mutated Donnie, he probably would have taken out Raph's eye in order to get Raph away from him so that he could go in and kill Donnie, which is what I would kind of sub is the possible what actually happened was if Donnie hadn't sided with Raph and had gotten, had pushed Leo to his limits earlier so that Leo would go to the Ancient One, Mikey could have gotten scratched and infected, which would have caused them to amputate Mikey's arm, Raph would have lost an eye, and Leo would have killed Donnie, which would have completely torn the family apart. Now, this would have become a little more clear in season five when the brothers need to heal from this interaction and basically get the team back up to high quality functioning because Donnie needs to realize that because Donnie, this is Donnie. He's such a sweetheart that 
learning that his brothers basically started the end of the world in order to save him, uh, he he would basically kind of get after Leo and Raph and be like, you guys, no, 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 you guys should have killed me. You guys should have taken me out. It would have been way better than this future. And then he needs to, we need to tell Donnie, no, they made the right decision is Raph's eye because he needs to see Raph's eye. He needs to remember, okay, Raph was missing an eye. Mikey was missing an arm. We were not together. Karai brought back the shredder. Is this really worse than that? Because at least this way, the family is together. They can fight this threat together as a family and the world won't get taken over by this evil. Also, because we now have basically recovered Leo, in season five, I would definitely make it a point that Leo kind of feels his relationship with Karai, which would convince her not to continue her plans to bring the Shredder back. So that shows that the Shredder's future won't happen either because Karai does finally give in and agree not to bring bring him back. So I hope this made some sense. I know it's a little <laughs> overly dramatic, but when you're writing stuff from a personality's perspective, you have to kind of, it's a lot of fun to kind of go with the full out drama ways. And that can always be toned down a lot with plot points and where the story needs to go. But this was just a, I want to clarify, this is just a what this would have looked like if you're just going with the emotions and going with the patterns that are created from these personalities, which, I, which is why I tried to explain why these characters are making the decisions that they are based on where they're coming from. You might have noticed I didn't do a lot with Mikey. Mikey is basically what I would have done with him is I would have not made him lose his fun, playful yellow side, but make him use it better. Where instead of just going for the cheap uh, smart crack remarks, I would actually make him improve on his humor and being a lot more responsible and receptive to his brothers. He's not the lazy lie around youngest sibling who just kind of expects his brothers to do everything for him. He needs to come into his own and I would definitely play with that in this season. It was more Mikey coming into his own and being better. So he doesn't become the, the dark brooding loner that he was in the same as it never was episode. However, he would be a lot more mature and responsible than he normally is. But again, remember, this was just me tweaking the story as to you have same as it never was lined up with Donnie's mutation. I chose that one specifically because it has the most moments for playing with these characters' personalities and how these personalities would affect them and their decision making to get to the results that are needed and desired to continue the story and move it forward. So I hope this podcast was helpful. I hope that it made some sense and I hope you have a really good day and try it uh, when you're working with your characters. Try writing a scene just from your character's personality's perspective on what's going on. Remember, Reds, you need to always dial it back to being them always having a selfish reason and a power reason behind everything they do. Blues need their intimacy, yellows need fun, and whites need peace. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this content, make sure to follow on your favorite streaming platform. For all news and information about upcoming shows and what I'm up to, make sure to follow me on Facebook. If you wish to contact me to tell me either your thoughts on the episode you heard or to give me suggestions on future podcasts, or maybe you'd like to co-host with me in a future podcast, you can either message me through Anchor, Facebook, or you can email me at Series of Lives Inc. All links are in the description box below. Make it a great day and I will talk to you later.